Let us pray. Amos eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. Thank you that you are sovereignly in control of all things. And thank you that we are your children. You have so chosen us because of your love and your plan. So it is our highest privilege and honor that we are called your children. You've assured us that even though we do not know how we will be, that in the end we will be as your son is with you. So, Heavenly Father, we recognize that you have uh, instructed us to gather together to study and be encouraged through your word. We are aware that the human mind is incapable of doing such a thing of concentrating on the word. So we do pray now that God, the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, where we have been dealing with specific spiritual assignments in the church. I'm reading from the 1984 edition of the NIV. Verse 27 reads, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing. Those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now, I will show you the most excellent way. Now, we continue with this section of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians that is concerned with specific spiritual assignments that God has made to certain individuals in the Church of Christ. Now, the message of this section that we stated in our previous study is simply this. Be aware, not of the land, be aware of the spirit of the specific spiritual assignments God made to individuals in the church. But your focus in your spiritual life should now be on the gifts associated with them, but instead focus on living out the spiritual life. In other words, the message is you should learn that there are specific assignments. But you should not focus on those spiritual gifts. Rather, focus on living out your spiritual life. That's the whole message. So we indicated that we will we'll, uh, uh, expand the message using four propositions derived from the passage. The first is the spiritual Assignments are made to those in the church of Christ, that you are a member. In other words, the gifts, these assignments are made to those who are believers in Christ, not those who are not. But that's not all. It's a reminder to you that you also are a member of the body of Christ. Now the second is the spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance in the church of Christ. All these assignments, they are ranked according to uh, their importance in the church of Christ. Now, so we considered the first spiritual assignment that is the most important for the functioning of the universal church of Christ, described as apostles. 
That's why it says, in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles. So those, we're saying, that is most important. Now we stated that there are facts, if understood, enable us to recognize how appropriate it is that the spiritual assignment described as uh, with the word uh, apostles, they rank the top of the list of the spiritual assignments of God to the individuals in the church of Christ. The last fact we stated in our last study is that other spiritual assignments mentioned in the rest of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28 are also part of the spiritual assignments of the apostles. So we'll promise, of course, to continue with this fact as we proceed to expand on the passage. So we indicated that other spiritual assignments mentioned in the rest of 1 Corinthians 12:28 are also part of the spiritual assignments of the apostles. Now to expand on this fact, we should add that the apostles not only had the other spiritual assignments given in verse, verse 28 as part of their function, but also that they had all the other spiritual gifts necessary for the church of Christ to function. Now, my point is simply this. The, the apostles were in a unique position. Their, their assignment given to them was so unique that God had to give them all the other gifts so that they all had all the gifts necessary for the functioning of the body of Christ. So we spend the rest of part of our study this morning to prove that one fact. That yes, indeed, they had all the, all the other spiritual gifts. Anyway, so we can assert that because of the role of the apostles in the founding of the church, that they each had, the, had all the spiritual gifts of uh, Apostle Paul identified in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and more. Because not all spiritual gifts are listed in the scripture. Because they were commissioned to preach the gospel of Christ, they certainly had the gift of message of wisdom and the gift of message of knowledge. They had the gift of faith. They had the gifts of healing and miraculous powers. Now, the possession of these two later, uh, later gifts, that of uh, healing and miraculous powers, that fact is attested severally in the scripture. First, we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. It is, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So they have to have those gifts to do that. Now the evidence of these two gifts uh, is reported again in different parts of Acts. See, Peter healed the crippled man as reported in Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. So hold on to Acts because we're going to be spending some time in Acts. Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. It is, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I, I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now one of the things that you, you see 
the purpose of studying the way we study is we're exposed to several passages and concepts. Now I want you to focus what uh, Peter said here. He said, silver or gold I don't have. But what I have, I give you. Now I've argued to you many times. You cannot give somebody what you don't have. That is part of the problem we're facing today. That most of us pastors don't really have what we're supposed to have in terms of teaching. And you, you know, bring it down. I mean, I get into conversations. People tell me, you know, they're kind of despondent about how things are and all that. And uh, someone was telling me this week, it had to do with family and so forth and so on. And my answer was, here's the thing. How do you expect a parent to give a child what he or she does not have? In other words, if a child, if a mother or a father is not grounded spiritually, what is he or she going to give the child? Nothing. See, if you don't have, you can give. That's the principle. You only give what you have. And so that's what Peter said. I don't have any of those, but what I have, which is greater than money and so on, and this one was healed. Anyway, Peter displayed, uh, uh, Peter's display of the gift of miraculous power is evident in the raising from the dead, Dockers, as we read in Acts chapter 9, verses 40 and 41. Acts chapter 9, verses 40 and 41. Acts chapter 9, verses 40 and 41. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and, and the widows and presented her to them alive. So here, he demonstrated the gift of healing. Paul also demonstrated that, that he had the gift of uh, miraculous power and healing. In the healing of the crippled man in Lystria, according to Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. It is in Lystria, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now the gift of miraculous power of Apostle Paul was also evident in the raising of dead of uh, the young man Eutychus, as recorded in Acts chapter 20, verses 9 through time. Acts chapter 20 verses 9 through 10. It reads seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. Now you know, you know, this is something you see in some local churches and in my judgment, if you're really not interested, that's when you fall asleep. But if you're interested in the world and you're sitting where the world is, why are you going to fall asleep? 
But the, here is the case. He's, he was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. He was dead. He's alive because God honored the gifts of miracles of healing of the apostle Paul. And that's how this young man came back to life. So then, these displays of miraculous powers of the apostles also imply that they had the gift of mercy and the gift of health. Since mercy is displayed in, uh, in various healings. Now, the gift of health is also evident when one is, he- is healed. Both come together when, you, when a person is healed. Now, the apostles, so we have established they have the gifts associated with healing, miraculous powers. The, the apostle had a gift of prophecy. Remember that the whole thing I'm trying to show you is they had practically, I mean, as far as the gifts listed, that they had all the gifts. That's all I'm trying to establish. So, they had the gift of uh, prophecy evident in their writing of the scriptures. That's the fact that they wrote the scripture will tell you they had the gift of prophecy. Now, Apostle Paul demonstrated his gifts of prophecy when he announced to the passengers in the ship uh, taking him uh, to Rome that although the ship will be wrecked, but that there will be no loss of life as recorded in Acts chapter 27 verses 22 through 24. Acts chapter 27 verses 22 through 24. It is, but now I urge you to keep your courage. Now this is a man because of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew because of God's promise to him. He was confident. While others were panicking. He was calming them down. That is one of those things in my judgment. When you begin to grow spiritually, that's one of the things that you will evidence. When in a, in a, uh, in a place where there's a lot of commotion or people, things are not going well and there are people are panicking, you'll be the voice that will calm them down. If you know who you are in Christ and have that relationship with him. So that's why I say, I urge you to keep your courage. Now, he, he goes on to say, why though? Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, here's what he says. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and who I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all those who sail with you. Now that's very intriguing. When you think about it, many people don't really realize it. There are many of us today who have been blessed, who have been sustained because of our association with one believer or two believers uh, who are really in real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are being blessed because of them. And so this is what Paul is uh, evidence in here because say, I've given you their lives. In other words, all of them are going to be saved because of you. So wouldn't you like to be that kind of believer? That just because of you, you know, they say this just County, when things were heated up, it would be spared just because of you. Just because of you. And now that you add into the problem. Now so, he clearly 
what he stated came true, which means he was a prophet. Now Jude, in his epistle, refers then to the gift of prophecy that belongs to the apostles. In Jude 17, Jude is only one book, the last book before Revelation. Jude 17, because it's one book, uh, we say Jude 17, and that 17 means verse 17. Verse 17. Jude 17. It reads, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold to, you know, foretelling his prophecy. So if he says what the apostles foretold, that means they had the gift of prophecy. So there's you no know, doubt now that they, all of them, had the gift of prophecy. The apostles had the gift of speaking in different tongues. Now these are the gifts in verse 28 uh, in the 12th chapter that we're really going through that the apostles mentioned. Now we know that uh, this to be the case because the apostles were among the disciples of Jesus Christ who spoke in, in tongue on the day of Pentecost as is reported in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 reads, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So every one of them, all those, I think 120 people, all the apostles were among them. So they all spoke in tongues. Now Apostle Paul himself testified. He wasn't there then. But he also testified that he had the gift of speaking in tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 18. First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 18. It reads, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I mean, by the grace of God, we still have, I'm sure, over a year before we get to that, but if the Lord doesn't come back and we're still here, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll go into the details. So we have also shown that they have the gifts of tongues. The apostles clearly had the gifts of teaching and exhortation or encouragement as these were necessary to fulfill the great commission recorded in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Matthew Chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It is, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Now, to do that teaching, requires that they have the gift of teaching. So the Great Commission is not the only way to recognize that the apostles must have had the gifts 
of teaching and of exhortation or encouragement. They demonstrated these gifts quite early in the history of the church following the Pentecost. Since the church was taught by them, as stated in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It is, they devoted themselves at the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the apostles have to have the gift in order for the church to listen to them or benefit from their teaching. Now, of course, the apostles, they continue to exercise the gift of teaching and exhortation in the early church as testified in Acts chapter 5 verse 42. Acts chapter 5 verse 42. It is Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So it is because the apostles had the gift of teaching that Apostle Paul could refer to the teachings that he and others pass on to believers. As in Second Thessalonians, Chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15, reads... So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, by, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So teaching, the gift of teaching, is what the apostles definitely have to do this. Now the apostles, no doubt, had the gift of service since they served the church. It's for this reason that Apostle Paul could speak of serving believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. It reads, for to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we, leave, uh, we will live with him, look at the next thing, to serve you. That is them exercising the gift of service, to serve you. Now the apostle certainly had the gifts of leadership and administration. Leadership and administration. So it should be clear, of course, that administration and leadership are not the same, although they may overlap in function, but they are not the same. Administration is different from leadership. Now, administration is concerned with the act or the process of managing affairs, while leadership is concerned with the ability to direct and guide others. 
One is concerned with managing affairs. The other one is concerned with guidance or directing people. Now the apostles had both gifts though. Gifts of administration and gifts of leadership. As evident in the leadership, they provided the church. And also their administration of the affairs of the church until the church grew in number. So they were no longer involved in a day-to-day administration since that would have distracted them from their primary function of teaching the word of God. It is for this reason that the apostles led the church into the direction of appointing administrators or what is often referred to by some as the first deacons of the church in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Acts, hold on to Acts again. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It is in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complain against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It will not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what the New Testament church should be, where those who are involved in the teaching of the word of God should not be entangled with administration. That's not their primary function. And you recall when, when I say when I say that uh, this church is, is typifies the New Testament church. We we have that because we have a a, a group of uh, men as our deacons that are really highly gifted by the Lord and they do things smoothly. And some of you may or may not notice how smoothly things go around here because we have those kind of men. Now it is because of the gift of leadership that Apostle Paul and Barnabas were to appoint leaders for the churches that they established as stated in Acts chapter 14 verse 23. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It reads, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they have put their thrust. Now, leadership, no doubt, involves giving guidance. But an important part of leadership is bringing to bear consequences on those who fail to follow the guidance of the leader. Very important. Now, let's see, these, these are things that when you go to companies, organizations, Especially in workplace. You can see that this principle, wherever it's ignored, things don't run well. People do what they want to do. But that is when leadership functions in the way 
Not only to give guidance, but to cause people to bear the consequences. In other words, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, this is what's going to happen to you. And they actually carry it out. And, you know, for example, you just take, let me use workplace. If, uh, if a boss or a supervisor does not have the authority to fire someone under him or her, that administration, that leadership is weak. doesn't mean anything. Because you must be able to do that. That's, you've got to have the stick in your hand. That's how you get things done. But if you can't do that, well, they, you know, people just, anyone does what they want. So that cannot be leadership. Now the same thing goes. When a leader says something, you've got to carry it out through. Same thing if you take it, take it back to the homes. Many parents are the way, and the children, and everyone is complaining, are wild and all that, because their parents are not doing what they're supposed to do. They say something, oh, if you do that, I'm going to do that. And the child does it anyway, and they do not do anything. That child that registers, my mom just a talker, my dad is a talker. That's it. They don't take you serious. No matter what you say, they will not take you serious. Because there are no consequences to what you say you're going to do. So leadership must have that ability to exert judgment, punishment, for failure to uh, uh, comply with the guidance of the leader. Therefore then, it is not surprising that the apostles were involved in discipline of individuals in the church, as we have studied or stated in our last study, but for completeness of our study, we repeat what we said about that uh, ability or that powerful discipline that Peter pronounced judgment on Ananias and Sapphira for being false to the church in their conduct with respect to giving. Now, this judgment of punishment is mentioned in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 3 through 4 and verses 7 through 9. Acts chapter 5 verse 3. Read this way. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now drop to verse 7. Verse 7, yes, after once, once, of course, once Peter pronounced that judgment, he fell, he died, and immediately they went to bury him. Verse 7, here comes in the wife. He said, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now I want you to think about something. When, you, when we read through these things in the Bible, because we don't spend enough time thinking, we see that we are operating on a surface level as Christians. Now notice what it says, about three hours later, about three hours later, the wife came in. So what does that mean? Think about it. That means the group was still there for three hours. And here people can, you know, I'm not talking about this group. This group is unique. But you can hardly find people in churches. 30 minutes, they're itching. They want to go. They're looking at their watches. And look at what you say. Three hours later, that means they were still there. And you see, you know, I mean, I know that uh, this group, you're highly disciplined. That two hours, depending on what we're studying, some of you think it's not enough, but it all depends on what we're studying anyway. So, but the point is, just look at that three hours later. He said, came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, 
Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That's a price. Because you see, the husband and the wife, they have collaborated to lie. And this is also tell us, when you collaborate, you're going to get the same punishment. Don't collaborate with people lying or doing something wrong. Okay, so once he did that, verse 9 says, Peter said to her, How can you agree to taste the Spirit of the Lord? That's the Holy Spirit. Look, the feet of the men who bury your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out also. And as soon as Peter said that, Sapphira fell down, was dead. And fear spread out in the church and so on. Now, so that, what that causes, they recognize these apostles, they have the authority. Their leadership, they also have the authority to exert consequences. And thus, God does that. Anyway, by the way though, this punishment by Apostle Peter also implies that as an apostle, he had the gift of distinguishing between spirits in order to perceive that Satan had filled the mind of Ananias to lie. They say a whole lot of things that we all know this is reality of life. Many of us can't tell when somebody's telling us a lie. Because, uh, you know, when the, as I personally believe that we are in, in this country, we are, on, we are now at the state where we have been handed over to delusion. Deception, where we now believe a lie instead of truth. We are in that state. But when that happens, it is, it is it requires a spiritual gift of discernment to know when people are lying. Not many of us can tell, like I said, when people are lying to you. So, Peter must have had a gift of distinguishing between spirits in order to know that there was a light going on here. So this gift of distinguishing between spirits was also evident when Apostle Paul got rid of the slave girl of the demons that indwelt her. He was able to distinguish comments directed to him by people and that from evil spirits. And that's why I say coming from people. And that from evil spirits. If, if you believe coming from people can come, you know, it depends on, can come from God, the Holy Spirit, can come from Satan or evil spirits. So, Paul must have the gift of discernment. It takes the gift of discernment of spirits. To be able to know where it's coming from. So he demonstrated that as we can gather from Acts chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Acts chapter 16. Verses 17 through 18. It reads, This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now that sounds really great, right? I think about if you were the person going around and preaching and this person comes and says, Oh, this person, oh really, he or she is a very, you know, wise man or woman giving you the gospel. You better listen. And if you were not, then you think, that's great. Somebody at least know what I'm doing here. But anyway, the guy said, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled, he got irritated because he knew the source. So that he turned around and said to the spirit, 
So he had the gift of discernment. So he knew it wasn't that lady speaking. It wasn't the lady. It was the spirit uh, behind her, or inside of her in this case. So, and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Because you know what that happened? That landed Paul in prison for doing that. Anyway, here is the tennis. Must have the gift of discernment, of spirits. Designing the spirit. That's part of the gift we've talked about designing of spirits. So it is because of that that he was able to know this is not from God the Holy Spirit, it's demon speaking. And so they had that gift. Now that aside, it was because the apostle had the gift of distinguishing spirits then that he perceived that what the slave girl announced was from evil spirit. At any rate, Apostle Paul also displayed his leadership gift in pronouncing judgment on the believer who has strayed in a sexual relationship that was not even fitting for unbelievers, let alone believers. As the Apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. First Corinthians chapter five verses three through five. First Corinthians chapter five verses three through five reads Even though I'm not physically present I'm with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you assemble in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that his sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. But we've already studied this in detail. So with these examples then, we have substantiated our assertion that the apostles had all the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament because of their role in the church. Anyway, we maintain that the spiritual assignments of apostles is the most important for the function of the church and so rank the force in the passage of First Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 28, that we're considering. So that brings us to the second, the second of the assignment. The second spiritual assignment God made to the uh, individuals in the church of Christ is described as prophets. Since we read in the passage we are studying, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, look at that next phrase, say, second prophets. Second prophets. Now, this implies that the individual with the spiritual assignment described as prophets had the gift of prophecy. That's what it will imply. Now, the word prophets is translated from a Greek word that refers to a person inspired to proclaim or reveal divine will or purpose. In other words, a proclaimer or expounder of divine matters or concerns that could not ordinarily be known except by special revelation. Now such a person or such a person rebuke people or predict events. Now the spiritual assignment of prophets is listed as second in importance to the church. So we need to understand why uh, what prophets do in order to appreciate the reason the spiritual assignment of prophets is second to the one of the apostles. Now to help our understanding of what prophets do, we will briefly 
refer to their roles in the Old Testament that we will also relate to the New Testament prophets. Specifically, prophets in the early church of Christ. Now, Old Testament uh, prophets had the important role of being intermediaries between God and people and vice versa. Now, they go between people and God and, and and God and between people and God and God and people. Vice versa. So Moses, as a prophet, fulfilled this role, and so God promised Israel to send a, prom- a prophet to them, like Moses, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 16 through 18. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 16 through 18. It is, For this is what you asked of the Lord, your God at Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord, our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to them, What they say is good. The Lord said to me, What what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded him. Intermediary, God gives his word to prophets. In this case, Moses, he will communicate it to people. And I said there's also the other side of it is people will tell a prophet and a prophet will communicate to God. That's, we see that. Now, since a prophet then serves as an intermediary, uh, intermediary between God and, and, and people, God will then send a prophet to convey his message to people, as was the case when God communicated to David through prophet God the choices he had to, to him, uh, from God because of the ill-advised censors that he conducted. So he, God sent him a prophet, say, you have three choices, choose one of them. As we read in Second Samuel, Chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter 24, verses 11 through 12. It is... Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to God the prophet. David seer, go and tell David. This is what the Lord says, I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So, here he knows what God wants through a prophet. Now, prophets will normally one of pending disasters that are generally the result of divine judgment. Prophet Elisha demonstrated this function of warning our people through uh, concerning a, a, a pending disaster when he warned the woman that had taken care of him. See this prophet, uh, Elisha, a woman took very care of, good care of of uh, him, and so uh, he didn't forget that, and no doubt, part of it is raising the child to, uh, from the dead. So, instead caring for this woman, uh, since the prophet was going to announce of a disaster coming, 
Well, to the woman, in a sense, you get out of the, this country, go somewhere, stay for five, seven years. Now, this is implied in Second Kings, chapter eight, verse one. Second Kings, Second Kings, chapter eight, verse one. It is now Elisha has said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. Now this kind of prediction was not limited to the Old Testament times, though. But we'll also find this in the early church when Prophet Agabus warned about a coming famine in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. See, hold on. It reads, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. So it did happen. Now later, the same prophet predicted of the personal suffering of Apostle Paul in the hands of his fellow Jews and how they will hand him over to the Gentiles as narrated still in Acts chapter 21 verses 10 and 11. Acts 21 verses 10 and 11. It is after we had uh, been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Of course, that also got fulfilled. Now, Agabus was not, the, was not alone in prophetic declaration of what Apostle Paul will face in Jerusalem. This truth was revealed to other prophets in other churches according to the record of Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. It reads, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. See, the Holy Spirit warned Paul through those with the gift of prophecy. And so, the apostle was warned by prophets of what's going to take place. Now, another function of Old Testament prophets is consulting God for personal information that an individual needed. In other words, God made it in such a way that you can go to a prophet and say, can you ask God about this and this for me? And God will give an answer to a prophet. Because Satan duplicated that. Soothsayer and 
palm readers and all that. That's kind of <laughs> the same kind of thing, though. But through prophecy, the one God instructed. Now, this practice is implied in what happened. It's recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. For Samuel, chapter 9, verse 9. I'm going on to For Samuel. Actually, chapter 9, we'll pick up another two verses from there. He reads, Formerly, in Israel, if a man went to inquire of God, he would say, Come, let us go to the seer. Because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. In other words, they go to consult a prophet. Now, we have an example of this kind of consultation in Scripture. Saul, under the advice of his servant, consulted prophet Samuel about missing animals. They were looking for the father's animals that got missing. Where are they going to find it? The servant said, let's go talk to the prophet. He can tell us. He can direct us. This is still in 4 Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. We're looking at time and looking at where I have to go. It's best to take a break and after break we'll look at that.